they let Corey Perry go. Why did you do that? He was actually having fun showing the young guys how it's done and scoring the odd goal here. Why would you let that go? Because the you know, boys have more fun now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Episode 12. 12. Talk box. Talk box. Talk box. Talk box. Talk box. Uh, this episode, I'm Carl. I'm not. We're, uh, Adam uh, allowed me to uh, pick the topic this week, which yeah. um, I decided was going to be... Diarrhea um, medicine. Yeah. Like, totally. Such a, an under an underappreciated topic. Real quick. Really, is it? Because there's really only one. What, it's really Pepto-Bismol. That's really it. Pepto-Bismol isn't diarrhea medicine. Are you fucking kidding me? Pepto-Bismol is, is to settle your stomach. And the, the slurping machine that's coming out of your butt. Yeah, yeah see, I, w I don't take Pepto-Bismol for diarrhea. I take um, uh, the, the pill there. Uh, Imodium. Imodium. Oh, right. That's the one that stops the stream. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, really well. Well, maybe that's episode 13, because apparently there's more to talk about. And, and no, listeners, that's not this week's topic. This week's topic is the evolution of getting music over the years and how it's changed and Ooh. evolved and everything. Uh, it only occurs to me now that I never came up with a witty kind of sub, like, phrase for the topic, for the, for the episode. Now we always had like little witty one-liner kind of phrases to label the episode. Mm -hmm. I never did think one for this episode. Ooh, so if one job. comes to you, right. you know, feel free to just dive in and interrupt me at any point right. and suggest something. Sure. So, uh, what's your history of how you got your music and how it affected your life and over the years kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, for starting from when you first sure. started listening to music. Sure. I'm interested in your perspective because it'll be definitely a newer perspective than mine. Yeah, but, yeah, okay, you're right. It, but really how that's going to affect it is simply that you're going to have uh, maybe Older one... stuff. Maybe yeah. one media... Type of media older than me. Right. Because vinyl has come back. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, anyway. And are so, you back into vinyl? I was. Oh, okay. Yeah. So where it all started <laughs> would have been probably vinyl, my mom's. But I wasn't really into it. Like yeah. where my first introduction to vinyl was actually uh, George Carlin, Seven Words You Can't Say on TV. That nice. Album. Nice. Anyway, so that doesn't really count as the music, but that's where... And then she had, like, Beatles records, Wings records, mm -hmm. shit like that. And yep. so that's where it started. My dad drove an old 77 Cordoba, and it had, uh, yeah, it had 8-track uh, in it. Nice. But he didn't have any 8-tracks. Oh. Because he, he's not, he was not never into music. into music. Right. Right. He'll listen to the radio, and that's the end of it. If, if that, that. If that. Yeah. Yeah. More driving around in silence. Which is funny. Because that's how I prefer to drive, too. 
Really? Absolutely. You don't listen to music while you drive? Generally not. No. Oh, wow. No, generally not. There would appear to be something missing if there was no music going in the car. Yeah. Having said that, though, i got to tune it right down when I'm getting close to home, and i got to really pay attention to what's yeah, right. going on. Yeah, because our stupid monkey brains don't fucking work very well. Yeah. So then how my music started was cassette. Right. The very first tape I got was Stone Cold Ryman by Young MC. Mm-hmm. And I got that for Christmas from somebody. And it was totally fucking random. I had no idea who this dude was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, I didn't have a means of playing a tape. Right. But that's where it started. And I quickly must have gotten a... Ghetto Some, Blaster? Ghetto Did you blaster. get a Ghetto Blaster? I was trying to not use that phrasing, but yeah. Well, that's what they were called. Yeah. Well, I never had a Ghetto Blaster. I never had a big silver Sony Ghetto Blaster. I got some shitty Sanyo. Yeah, well... Right, you know whatever. But you know I was what I mean. a white guy, so anything that was portable, I right. considered a Ghetto, ghetto blaster. blaster. Right. Yeah. A white guy talking about yeah. Ghetto Blasters. Exactly. Anyway, so... <laughs> and the first album that I think that... I bought, there were two tapes that stick out in my head of being like the first ones. And I don't know if I bought them, but I got them both new, which is uh, the MC Hammer album Mm -hmm. and the Billy Joel album with We Didn't Start the Fire. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know what that record, what that album is actually called. Me neither. But those were them. Uh, That's where it started. Hmm. So all of your purchased music at first was pre-recorded cassette at first. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And then from there went to, and that was around for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Like you could still buy eight tracks. You could still buy records. Yeah. When I got tapes. Right. Right. So the time between tapes and CDs was years. So tapes was it. So uh, I moved to... And I didn't really get into music for a long time. Like, I liked it a bit. But it wasn't until I was probably 12, 11 or 12. Summer of when I was 11. Grade 7 to grade 8 is when music started to fucking happen. Um, But I would... Yeah, I would get tapes and you'd record it off the radio. Mm Mm-hmm. You pirate it and yeah. yell at DJs for interrupting the beginning of the song. Yeah, exactly. You fucking dicks. Phoning in trying to request a song that you want. Staying up really late to listen to that uh, radio show that would play the type of music that yeah. you want. So there's a half an hour yeah. that you might get a song yeah. that you like. And then? And then it was CDs. And how that that took place is I was I was behind the times on that. It felt. Um, my best friend, um, who I was fortunate enough to live in the same duplex as, mm-hmm. it was fucking wild. But he, his dad was a musician, um, a jazz musician, and just obviously obsessed with music, mm-hmm. and huge CD library. And they got him a, uh, a ghetto blaster mm-hmm. uh, that played CDs, mm-hmm. and we... For Christmas, and he got a bunch of money, and he went and he bought um, a bunch of CDs from AMB Sound went mm-hmm. downtown. Yeah, 
and I still had tapes. So um, I bought I bought a couple tapes that he had on CD, or we pirated, uh, whatever. And then eventually, um, I got a boombox for Christmas, and I then got a bunch of money, and I went to AB Sound. That's where it really started from my memory, mm-hmm. is when music really became a thing in my life. And I had to be, I think, like I say, yeah. it felt like the summer of 11 to 12, so maybe it was Christmas of when I was 11. Hmm. And, uh... Lucky. Yeah. I never had music that young in my possession. But yeah, we'll, it's we'll funny. We'll get to that story later. It's funny, I talk about it like this, and I said that I was really young, but as it's coming out of my mouth, and I'm like... Yeah, maybe not. Maybe 11 years old is about when a lot of people seem, or maybe it's even a little young that you get really into music. Anyway, yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, and then it was CDs. It was CDs for fucking ever. Actually, I think it was CDs forever until um, I started... Copies. Well, it felt like forever. When you're fucking young, everything yeah. feels like forever. Right. But it probably, I was probably 16 when I started to recognize what MP3s were. Mm-hmm. And then there was no looking back. Mm-hmm. Because uh, back in 16, when the internet was the Wild West, um, you just pirated everything and there were no consequences. Um, so I did. I had more MP3s than anybody did. I'd make CDs for people and mm-hmm. crap like that. At its peak, how many MP3s did you have in your possession? Oh, I couldn't even tell you. I tens of thousands? Tens of thousands. Yeah. Tens of thousands. Like a, uh, you know those DVD binders yeah. that you get? It's yeah. filled of just burnt MP3 CDs. Yeah. yeah. But it didn't make CDs go away. Because when no. I was 17, I worked at a record store for uh, probably two, maybe three years. Mm-hmm. So I acquired a lot of music by, mm. and I went to, I was going to a lot of local music shows mm-hmm. uh, between 12 and 17 years old. We mm-hmm. were going to uh, local shows every weekend, sometimes two, sometimes three. And um, yeah, so it was just consumption of music and CDs were, were still that. So CDs didn't stop being a thing, I think until I stopped going to shows all the time. So probably when I was 18 is when CDs sort of stopped. Might have been later. It's hard to... It, no, it must must have been a little later. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was 20... Uh, the reason why I say that is because I broke up with my first long-term girlfriend. What's up, Nikki? When I was... When I was 24. And I seem to remember taking a music hiatus because... Her and I liked the same music. We listened to music together. It was a right. part of our relationship. So you couldn't listen to that stuff I couldn't anymore. listen to music at all. Right. Yeah. And I did that with all of my... All of my... My uh, long-term relationships at end. I always took a music break because I had to. And then maybe it was then is when... I'm just like, I'm not going to buy CDs anymore because it was more accessible. This was... This was post-Napster. This was post-LimeWire. Um, Pre-BitTorrent. Yeah. And then... Um, then how did it go? Yeah, then it was torrents, acquiring them that way. Streaming services. Mm-hmm. Service, singular. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I didn't like Spotify when it first came out. When right. It, as we've talked about before. Yep. And, I don't know, Bandcamp, shit like that. But, 
I haven't bought music, if you don't count my monthly subscription. Mm-hmm. I haven't bought music in probably five or six years, maybe six or seven years. Not surprised. Yeah. It's definitely been longer for me. And the last ones I bought were still, I could, you could still get them on streaming, mm-hmm. but they were just tiny. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? Right. Let's give them all of the money. Yeah. And the albums were really like $8. Like yeah. nothing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, now where I am is overwhelmed with music to the point where often I don't listen to it because I just have too much. Right. Oversaturated right. with music. It's really quite frustrating. That's right. sort of my... Yeah, I think that's mostly my journey mm-hmm. with the medium. I never touched mini discs. Jeez, I didn't even mention mini discs in my timeline. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, those were definitely a thing for a tiny period. Tiny of time. bit of time Holy for people crap. who had a lot of money to yeah. sell. Oh, jeez, yeah. mini discs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not even going to mention those. Yeah, my my journey with music was weird, like. It was like, and I'll get to it eventually, because I, I want to go through kind of an interesting timeline of h- how music was available over the over the years, and then I'll get into some, I hope, interesting stories about my uh, music journey over the years. But I was putting a timeline together of what formats music was available in, and it turns out that almost a hundred years ago, is when vinyl records first started to become a a regular thing. As 78s. Um, They finally came up with a universal recording standard. And uh, interestingly, it was based on the speed of the motors that made the records. Right that determined how fast the record had to spin to play it back, which was so bizarre. Like, Mm. it was just an arbitrary choice based on the manufacturing process that had been chosen, which I thought was kind of funky. So that would have been, like, 1925. Okay. And then 78s were around until 1948, right after the war was over. Uh, And then 33 and a third microgroove records came out, invented by Columbia Records. Mm -hmm. So now you could fit a lot more music on an album, Mm -hmm. almost 30 minutes aside, almost. And those lasted, obviously, for decades. But the first 45 uh, RPM single, those little things with the big fat openings in the middle that needed special adapters to play... Uh, they they came out as singles in 1949, but you couldn't play them on record players that could play 33 and a third. So they actually made record players that only played 45s. The idea being that you know kids would walk around with 45 record players, sure, and take them to their friends' houses with their collection of 45 singles, and that would be the new thing. Albums would be for adults, and you know. Fuddy duddies and and uh, you know professional collectors and stuff. It never worked out that way. People did collect forty fives, but then they also collected albums too. Uh, Multi speed record players that could play any speed of record didn't come out till the fifties, 
And then they came up with a little plastic adapter so you could play 45s on them too because the spindle was just big enough to play 33s. Wait, I got a question about that. Yeah. About the, the 45s and the hole in it. Yeah. Was that... Or do you know? Yeah. Is that... It, it feels like a proprietary marketing tactic it was to make you buy one yeah yeah that's it it was yeah. to buy a different record player exactly yeah that's okay. all it was okay they didn't want you to be able to play it on on the same record player as, as albums just to move more product yeah more record player product yep totally okay um which you know as it turns out uh it's funny how the music industry thinks they know what they're doing and, and will try to socially engineer the the buying public and then they turn around and go uh no, I'll take the one that plays everything mm -hmm. and screw your little 45-only record player. Right. Then came something that was a really niche music format, reel-to-reel. -reel. Oh, yeah. German. Uh, started in 1954. Oh, my God. I Expensive remember Expensive as hell. Like, you couldn't touch these things unless you were rich or, you know, somebody trying to show off to their friends. And it's not even like you could buy pre-recorded music on a reel-to-reel. -reel. You, you could only use it to record music. They tried to sell pre-recorded music on reels, but nobody could buy them because, the, you know, by the time you finished paying for your reel-to-reel, -reel, that was it. You were wiped out. But the one thing about reel-to-reel -reel tape is that they were the first tape and they were also high-quality tape. Um, so if you wanted the best possible recording of music you had on another format reel to reel was the way to go until they came up with compact cassettes uh port battery powered portable uh, music players uh record players with their own built-in amps and speakers didn't come out till 1955 made by a company called Philco uh and then and then the thing that changed everything 1964 compact cassette arrives and at first they suck uh, because there's only one kind and they don't really record very good quality and there's hiss in the background and then they invented Dolby and all that shit and that fixed that problem and then they came up with uh, tape with special formulations to make them better. By 1968 compact cassettes were selling really well and they even started putting music on tapes and selling them in stores. Um, this is the first thing that actually made the sharing of restrict, uh, restricted music and pirating possible. And this was the first time the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA, lost their shit. Because they basically went, oh my God, cassettes are going to ruin mm -hmm. the music industry. Because people are just going to make copies of their friends' albums and singles. And they won't buy original music anymore and, right. and will go bankrupt. Right. Which, of course, never happened. Right. And then they just jumped on the bandwagon and started releasing music on tape. Mm -hmm. Which, it turned out, worked out pretty good because the average consumer didn't have the time or the energy to make their own tapes. Well, of course not. Only junkies like you and me did that. Mm -hmm. Most people wanted to buy tapes with the music already on it. Mm -hmm. So that you could throw it in the deck in the car or in your boombox, or whatever the case may be, and away you go. 8-track came out a year later, and the idea behind 8-track, of course, was because if you were listening to music on a, on a cassette, 
you had to fast forward to get to the next song. But in an 8-track, all you had to do was press a button and it took you right to the next track. Right. That was revolutionary, right. especially in a car. So 8-track decks were installed in cars almost, you know, starting with Thunderbirds and Mustangs in 1965. Sales on 8-tracks peaked in 1978, right when I graduated high school. Uh, 1978 vinyl unit sales peaked and began their decline. Um, 1979, yeah, so I'm just going to leave the history lesson there because this is where I'd like to talk about my actual journey through music formats. Because when I was growing up, I didn't have any money to buy music, so I had to go with what my parents listened to. And my parents listened to old people music. We were always tuned into the old people music radio station. The only kind of music we had at home was old people music. So like, you know, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, Roger Whitaker, like, right. you know, yeah. uh, the Kingston Trio, yeah. uh, Big Band, mm -hmm. uh, Jazz, and yeah. not even like, you know, out there jazz, regular jazz. Sure. Yep. Um, and the only way that I could get access to what my peers were listening to was on the radio. But because my dad always had the car radio tuned to the to his music, the only time I actually got access to music I should be listening to was at friends' houses. Okay. There was no radio in the house? No. Okay. No. There was a record player in the house. A record player. And that was it. Then I got my first transistor radio, and that changed everything. Because then I could listen to my ra the radio station I wanted to listen to, but not very good quality sound. Sure. But hey, you take what you can get. Absolutely. And then, um, so this is what when seventy. This would be the seventies. Early or late? Both. So it started all the or... way through the seventies, okay. pretty much. You got your transistor radio, what? 73-ish, yeah. 74. I had it through throughout high school. Okay. And, and then, then I made friends with this guy named David Calusi. Fucking David Calusi. And he was a cool guy. Uh -huh. He dressed differently from everybody else. And he had, he had music. And he knew music. Sure. And he could play music. He was a, he was an aspiring DJ. He had equipment. He had a mixer. Uh, he wanted to operate lights when he performed, and he would do it at the community center in our town. And he had milk crates full of albums and and singles and and the whole nine yards. And he would DJ at like community dances and high school dances and stuff. Mm -hmm. And because I was his friend, I would get on stage with him and watch what he was doing and stuff. And I'd be like, can I do that? And he'd be like, no. Yeah, you can't touch my you shit. You can't touch my stuff. And he said, but I'll tell you what. I just, I took an old organ keyboard mm -hmm. and disassembled it from the chassis. Mm -hmm. And I hooked up all the keys to solenoids that could operate uh, lights. Oh, yeah. Powered by AC. Sweet. So cool. we'll set up a rack of lights and whatnot, mm -hmm. 
And I've got a couple of the, the toggle switches hooked up to things like a disco ball and shit like that and strobes. And the other lights, you can operate them by playing the keyboard. You play the keyboard along with the music and the lights will respond to what you're pressing on the keys. Wild. And I'm just like, okay, you know, anything to be a part of this thing that's happening. Uh -huh. Because I saw that he had the crowd in the palm of his hands. He was controlling the party. He was controlling the atmosphere of all the people that had assembled sure. and stuff. Right. And I was mesmerized by that power. Cool. Never mind the fact that I was getting in touch with whatever music was relevant and, and current. And eventually, he actually, uh, once he got to know me and trust me, he'd say, hey, you want to spin some tunes? And I'd be like, fuck yeah. And I started helping out actually playing the music. And I'd be like, what can I play? And he'd be like, go through the, the music and pick what you want. But he'd kind of give me tips where, you know, you want to play some danceable stuff for a while. And then you want to put the odd ballad in there so that the guys and the girls could do their thing on the dance floor, right? And then you get back into some faster stuff again. And yeah. then you put the some more formula. Stuff. Yeah, yep. the old mm -hmm. formula. And I, I was really enthralled by that, but I couldn't participate in, in it on my own because I just didn't have the resources or the money to do it. So my musical journey was a one of a spectator. I was a very late bloomer when it came to discovering the music that my peers were listening to. They were into the Sticks and the Supertramp and the Floyd and the Zeppelin and the, and the Nazareth and the Boston and all the rest of it that was happening in the late 70s. And I was just like, what? Super what? And then, you know, they'd play some albums for me. And what? Super what? <laughs> might be like the second time I ever heard a song, but only this time now I'm really paying attention to it. Right. Because I'm getting to hear it on some fucking hi-fi stereo equipment. Right. And right. I'm really hearing the music now for the first time. And being totally envious. Oh, yeah. Now things really start to ramp up. Sorry, just give me one sec. Yeah, sure. Crime of the Century is such an amazing fucking record. It is. Oh, my God. It most definitely is. I learned about that when I got into vinyl um, probably 10 years ago. Yeah. I just saw it at a like a used place. I'm like, oh, fucking Supertramp. I don't know anything about yeah, Supertramp. Yeah, right. Let's see what this is. Holy fuck. Fire a couple of bombs. Crime of the Century, listen. yeah. That was a that was a not just a good album, but that was one of the albums that kind of put Supertramp in the spotlight. I'd say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like prior to that, it was just the few Brits that knew them and were like, oh, oh check this out. But then Crime of the Century Boom. kind of like elevated so them to world class yeah. status. If anybody listening to this hasn't listened to that record, listen to it. But important it's different than music now oh yeah it sounds super condescending is that like i'm fucking telling people how to listen to music is that records made in the 70s are absolutely pieces of art you need to they're listen epic all of it they are epic. from the beginning yes. to the end that's right no they're shuffle masterpieces. yeah you have to listen to the whole thing they're masterpieces even though an album may only have produced a couple of hits that was just a radio thing. Yep. Not a quality thing, unlike today. Right. So, 
high school is done. I've mm-hmm. had my taste of DJing. I'm now suddenly starting to tune into what music actually is in. Mm-hmm. And then I get my first job out of high school because I said, school, we're done. Okay. Not interested. Pass. And I got a job at a record distributor. Oh, yeah. Millbank Industries in Montreal, which provided all of the labels of music for stores like Discus Records, which was kind of like a Sam the Record Man, but not Sam the Record Man. Like an A and B sound, but no stereos, just music. It supplied music for Discus, all the department store music departments. Right. Which back was... in the day... The Bay and Sears, the Sears and all of them, they yeah, all man. had their own record departments, yeah, which sure was did. bizarre, because the only people who bought music from those places were adults, mm-hmm. not kids. Kids went to real music stores to buy their music because there was more of it, more variety. So yeah, I'm working for Millbank Industries, and I'm seeing all this music, and they're just like looking at my bug eyes and going... Hey, have you have you heard Joni Mitchell? And I'd be like, no. And they'd be like, all right, let's throw it on. I'm like, you could just grab music off the goddamn bins and throw it on the stair. And I, we could do whatever the hell we want. Yeah, it man. broke. Right. The package came undone. Oops. I'm like, okay, this is crazy. Right. Can I make record? Like, what about this one? Oh, that's a really good one. And then you know, now my my like. Now it's almost like I'm going to music university and I'm just like, you're paying me to take music from from an order sheet out of bins. Oh, I think I want to listen to that one too. Uh, Oh, if they're ordering a hundred of this, it must be good, right? Yeah. You want to hear that one too? Sure. And it was just like listening to music all day on this really nice stereo system in this little warehouse. And then I'd go uh, and collect a paycheck every week from this place. Unfortunately, the job didn't last long because the music industry, at least providing music to stores, is very cyclical. In the summertime, there's really nothing happening. Uh, But in the wintertime, gift giving for Christmas, music sales go through the roof. Or at least they did in the late 70s. Um, so you had no trouble getting a job in this industry, uh, from September to April or even March, but in the summertime, nah, it was kind of touch and go. So I got laid off from this Millbank Industries, but they gave me such a glowing reference that I was able to go down the street and get a job at Polygram Records, one of the labels that I was pulling off of out of bins for orders. And Polygram was an even bigger warehouse, and they didn't make their own vinyl. They got it. Uh, they got it made by Columbia, uh, CBS Columbia, made pressed their vinyl for them. But they had their own pre-recorded uh, tape factory in the back of the oh, warehouse. Cool. It's too bad I didn't realize what I had gotten myself into with that company, because we were allowed to buy albums right. at cost. Yeah. And I never did because I didn't have anything to play it on. I didn't have enough money to buy a stereo yet. So while all my peers were buying like dozens of albums a pay, I'd buy nothing. But again, 
all the music that this company made was playing over the professional PA system in the warehouse. And it was great. Uh, I continued uh, helping my friend DJ when I could. My best friend started getting into car stereos and he was installing like custom car stereos ripping out the original uh, stuff that came with the car mm -hmm. and putting in like blow pump cassette stereos with you know extra amplifiers and fucking high-end speakers and the whole nine yards uh, and I never got into that but boy did he ever get into that and he did that for years that's all he did was specialize in car stereo installs yeah and then he convinced me to join the military and then on the day we were supposed to swear in and pledge allegiance to the crown uh -huh. he never showed <laughs> so he leaves me high and dry at the recruiting center after convincing me to join and get a career because neither of us wanted to go back to school right so i went through with it i didn't chicken out i got in I got into electronics, I became a technologist, and as soon as I had some money, I thought, let's buy some records. And I was voracious. And I'd spend all my free time at the record store and checking out what's new, and do I want that one? Mm, I don't know, it doesn't have a lot of hits on it. Yeah, I think I'll pass on that one for now. You know, I was really prioritizing because I only had so much money to buy stuff. Bought myself a stereo, decent quality but you know nothing extravagant and i just slowly started building this massive collection of albums and uh at what point i think i remember having close to 150 200 albums which for somebody that never owned music in their life before was a, a feat of magic and then um then they sent me on a an exchange program they said hey uh, the military, the unit you belong to, we, we got a thing going with the British signalers over in, in the UK who are posted to Germany as part of the, you know, the whole German uh, foreign militaries will kind of like help kind of keep everything under control over sure. here yep. uh, with NATO and all that stuff. We get to send a few dozen Canadian soldiers over there to see how they do their thing, but in Germany. And I'm like, cool. How long is that going to last? Oh, a month. And I'm like, right on. This will be cool. So the whole time I'm over there, these British soldiers are showing me all the music they're listening to, which some similarities, but they had a shitload of music that they were totally into and tuned into that North America hadn't even heard of yet. Right. Things like Thomas Dolby and the Eurythmics and... Uh, Howard Jones and Ultravox and all this new wave and digitally kind of synthesizer -y stuff, eh? Yep. And I was just blown away by this stuff. And uh, I brought some back with me. And then I'd be going to the record stores and right. going, hey, you guys got any Eurythmics? Oh, that just came in. I haven't even listened to this yet. Put it on right now. I will change your life. Now, I was knowing a little bit more about the music than the people who were selling it did. Right. And now I felt this kind of like, ooh, now I got the power. Now I'm, I'm a music guy now. And then what really 
kind of got me egotistical about my music was when people would come to me and say, hey, you know how uh, the course that our friends are over here in the military are graduating from their course next week? Yeah. Well, they're having a party in this little kind of like military lounge that only gets opened when someone needs it for a party and they need someone to play tunes for the party. Would you be interested? I'm like, what does it pay? All you can drink. I'm in. Drag yeah. the stereo system and all my albums over there and then play music for the night for all I could eat and all I could drink. Right. Then I started demanding cash. Oh, no problem. We'll just pass a hat around. Next thing I know, I've got cash in my pocket to buy more music. Right. And, and that's when it just like escalated out of control. Uh, I bought... I was actually talking to Darlene about this tonight. She goes, remember that inheritance that you spent all on DJ equipment? I go, mm-hmm. And it wasn't an inheritance. My grandfather had set up a trust fund for me for school. Oh, yeah. But I didn't go to school. Didn't have to. Joined the military. They taught me what I needed to do for my next career. So once my grandfather realized I didn't, I wasn't going to be using the money for school. He basically went, well, here's your $10,000. And I went, well, I guess I'm buying $10,000 worth of stereo equipment. So I kitted myself out with the best DJ equipment I could get my hands on. Uh, best value for the buck. And now I was set. Sure. Every gig I did, every dollar I made from it, bought more tunes. Another gig, bought more tunes. Next thing I knew, I had 60 milk crates filled with albums and singles. I was set. And then CDs came along. And I was like, okay, this is, this is some kind of bullshit because <laughs> right. I've got all of this money invested in all of this vinyl and now comes this little goddamn five-inch disc that's got a whole album on it. Can't get affected by its playback quality if it gets dust on it, like an, like an album mm -hmm. can, like vinyl can. Like the things we did to try to keep our vinyl clean so that right. it would sound good when you played it was insane. It, it was insane now that I think back towards it. But... The beautiful thing of it was, is that I was, you know, I was just reveling in every kind of music I could get my hands on. And, and uh, I was wielding that musical uh, knowledge and power and access and skill of putting music together to affect the people that were in the building. And that just made my day. It was like nothing else that I could describe. But the CD thing really threw a wrench for me because I was just like, if you're DJing, you've got to switch to CD. There was just, the logic behind it was just, it was a no-brainer. But how do you ditch $6,000 worth of music or $8,000 worth of music and then buy it all over again in a new format? And at that point, I just went, yeah, no, I, I can't do this. Right. So I sold the whole kit, music and all, 
equipment at all. And I used the money to buy myself a decent stereo and started a CD collection for myself. Yeah. And this time I only bought the stuff that I liked as opposed to the stuff I needed to DJ with. Right. That's a wild journey. But it was, yeah, because it was like I went from zero to 60 in, in a year. Right. In music. And then it was like, you know, now I'm racing cars. <laughs> Yeah. And then all of a sudden, okay, well, that was fun. I'm going to retire from racing now and just, you know, buy a car that I like and sit back and enjoy it for a while. So, but, but, mm. but I was still hooked. And then the MP3 started. Can I, um, yeah. You had said something earlier about, um, music university. Yeah. And, uh, like your DJ buddy. Yeah. And, uh, it got me to thinking about people in my life who had exposed me to music and I had I had a few people but like two people maybe three stand out a lot mm-hmm. and the first one is my best friend's dad right Dan Michael he like I said he played in a jazz band yeah and not not old people jazz right like fucking wild weird yeah. shit and he liked wild, weird music. Right. And he introduced me, well, his son introduced me um, to the shit that they were listening to. Yeah. And some of it, most of it, was just incredible. Yeah. And, like, he taught me, like, well. Do you remember any band names? Tom Waits is probably the oh, most wow. prolific thing that, like. And He's I out was, there. Yeah, He's out there. And I was introduced to Tom Waits when I was 11, 12. 12 years old. And I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, and other things like... But it's uh, an acquired taste. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. A lot of people think Tom Waits is... Right. Too out there. Yeah, well, those people are idiots. Um, <laughs> Japanese jazz. Thing, a band called Naked City. They was wild. But anyway, like, Primus is... Yes, yes. Um, so just wild, weird music that no one listened to. And so he was probably the first professor, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. And then the other one that really stands out. Dan taught Nathan and I of how to appreciate music. And it gave us the skills to find our own. Mm-hmm. Right? Our fingers were out in it. Yeah. We would go... You got to see that there was more than what you heard on the radio. We were... Or even that your friends knew about. Certainly that. Yeah. Um, but more trusting our gut or our intuition to buy records that you don't... That you have never heard of. Mm-hmm. And, yes. Uh, and Which when you're, I loved to do. Oh, yeah. Um, loved and hated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> anyway, so that... That was uh, foundational to my exploration of music is, is Dan. Um, and then years later, uh, as I had mentioned, I went to a lot of local uh, rock shows and punk mm-hmm. rock shows and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And when I was music, working at the music store, I was introduced to quite a bit of music. And it was, I was going to shows at that time, so I was a bit of a, 
I was huge into grunge mm-hmm. and huge into punk rock. And so I was a grunge punk rock kid. And then I started working at the music store. Uh, first hanging out at the music store, working for free, because I fucking hated high school too. <laughs> and it was just, I just hung out at the store and yeah. did work for free sure. until they gave me a job. Right. And in the morning, you can't play any music you want. Because the mall is filled with old people. Right. So you can't fucking play anything. You can't put Primus on. No, you cannot. And (laughs) so I started to get introduced to like music that a a fucking teenage boy wouldn't, like in Calgary, wouldn't listen to. Right. So that just again (laughs) opened my eyes to types of music, genres of music, and helped me realize further that I can like more than the things that I like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like the Mavericks. I love the Mavericks. It's fucking country music. Yeah. But it's just fucking... Music for All Occasions is still one of my favorite albums. Right. Anyway, um, just all sorts of wild, weird shit. Before I forget, what's your favorite Tom Waits song? Oh, man... I I want to see if it's know. similar to mine. I am obsessed I with the song "Step Right Up." Oh, that's a good one. I love that song. Step right up. Yeah, yeah. I love that song. It's and it's not even like a regular song. It's just him riffing. Do 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 do. It's so amazing. But yeah, no. And you know what? It's this... Oh, maybe Murder in the Red Barn. Oh. I don't know if I've Or Earth that Died one. Screaming. Basically anything off Bone Machine Okay. Um, is... You're Bone Machine was when I was introduced to it. Hmm. And that was... Well, that was in 92 was right. when that album came out. What? But I liked older stuff too. What anyway. really... What took a long time for me to understand about music was that here I was being voracious about every new kind of artist that I had never heard before. And I didn't like them all, but I liked most of them and I wanted to share them with other people. So while I was DJing, while I was doing my gigs on the bass at like now full-blown like ranks clubs you know where people went to actually get drunk and dance and party i'd play the stuff that i knew was familiar to them but then i'd sneak in stuff i knew they'd never heard before hoping that they would go oh my god and unfortunately it didn't always work out that way right because you'd have some people and i'd watch right i'd be watching them in their seats and the the few that get on the dance floor and they'd be like the fuck is this right and i'd be like come on come on come on this is good right and some would get into it but many would not right and i'd be like oh for fuck's sakes right and then i'd have to go back to the mainstream stuff and then you know just when they weren't looking again i'd sneak another one in there Mm -hmm. and i started getting good at it but i also started taking more risks too and then people started getting like you know 
aggressive about their dislike for some of the stuff that I was playing. And I was just like, okay, don't worry. I'll get you back to your little pablum formula here in a second. But, you know, expand your horizons, people. Right. But, yeah. And, of course, once I, once my musical horizons had expanded far beyond mainstream music, radio just started sucking oh yeah radio is beyond awful. description and it still does because it, of that except for one station here it comes cfny oh cfny the spirit oh. of radio oh interesting which incidentally is why that song by rush is called the spirit of radio because it's actually about that station oh, that's cool they were the only station in Toronto that took a risk on little-known artists that they thought were fantastic and basically gave the finger to the program manager and said, no, fuck you. We'll play what we think people need to hear. And they made stars out of some Canadian artists. It's interesting how you took your love for obscurity mm-hmm. and wanted to show people... and. Uh, because I did too, like, but mine wasn't from a enlightening them kind right. of place. More, it was annoying. more like, no, no, no. It wasn't antagonistic. Okay. It was more just like, I enjoyed when they liked it, but it was me. This is what I like. Yeah, and you Fuck have you. no fucking idea what this oh, is. Oh, okay, right. But I do. Right. I know all about this band. Right. And I heard them a long time ago. Right. Right? Yeah. You're gonna hear them you're gonna hear them next year on the radio. I know all about it. I already them. know about them. And yeah. I was a real cunt about it. <laughs> and I know that. And I and in many ways I still kinda am. I get off on knowing music and bands that nobody knows. Yeah. I love it. And yeah. um, and I do too. I and just, I like showing people. I but I, I prefer to let other people in on it, though. That's the only thing. It's not that I don't want to let people in on it, necessarily. But it is... It's for me. Like, I get okay. off on yeah. it, for sure. And them not knowing what it is, I really like. Like, when you said that now I know more than the people in the music stores... Yeah. That's where I lived. Right. That's what I loved. Is right. knowing more about music than, than the other people, people you worked with, or my peers, and people all your peers. I worked with, yeah. like it was a thing, yeah. which is just such a dick thing. But it, but but it was, it was, and yeah, it still course, is. Like, and I still find albums and music that people are like, "What the fuck is this?" Right. And I'm like, <laughs> "I don't know," <laughs> but but isn't it great? Yeah, yeah. But what I was going to say is that when I was working at the music store and that breadth of variety was opened up to me, that's where I met my second professor. Hmm. And my second professor was the bass player from a band that I adored right. in the city. Okay. The bass player of a band called Huevos Rancheros. Yeah, I've heard of them. Graham Evans. He started working at the record store. And I loved them. Yeah. Before. Yeah. And him and I would just sit around and bullshit. Mm-hmm. And he would tell me stories. Huevos Rancheros was, they weren't huge. No. But they weren't small. Right. Like they, they had a pretty big following here. 
Well, in Alberta. They traveled internationally multiple Did times. Did they? Oh, yes. They were oh, wow. quite popular. Never heard them on the radio, though. Uh, no. 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 Maybe college radio. Sure. Yeah. CGSW would have played the shit For out of them. sure. But, but this was, like... This was when Calgary had an excellent music music scene, mm-hmm. known internationally mm-hmm. for their music scene. Anyway, so he... So that would have felt good having a band member of a band you really liked a yes. lot working with you in a music store. Yes. And then telling me road stories. <laughs> and introducing me to, me to bands. And, and now you know road stories about your favorite bands that oh, you get yeah, to hold over man. other people. Oh, yeah. Oh, you think you know Huevos Rancheros, do you? Right. Yeah, fuck right. you. I know. Stories about everything. getting drunk with Kurt yes. Cobain and Mark Arm and <laughs> just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and him teaching me about bands like Tank Hog and a band, like the name of this band is about people, about guys who would steal nitrous from a dentist and, 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 they would fucking get high on it and be like, don't be such a tank hog. Name of the band. Perfect. Shit like that. Yeah. And just stories about these bands that I, I didn't know of or bands that I already really loved, but introduced me to more and more and more and more stuff. And um, mm-hmm. I, would, I don't know if I would call him a professor, but it was just a... He was your professor. Yeah. In Music University. Yeah. Well, he was like the the proverbial jock that you hang out with who fucking knows all the moves. And I was just like, yeah. Yeah, man. Stick with me, man. I'll tell you some stories. Yeah, dude. Absolutely. And then, because he worked there, he got a girl from another band that I loved to work there. Her name was Alicia, and she played bass for a band called Placebo. And Placebo was a band that Leslie Feist used to sing for. Right. So I... Here we go. Listen to this. Listen to me. Like, I know Leslie Feist. Okay. I've talked to her multiple times. Like, she recognizes me. Small Or did, right? Yeah. But, but, oh man, it's just so wild. So it was really cool. Like, it was so cool. That, those two people working there made that asshole bit that I was explaining earlier Mm -hmm. just fucking double triple down like right. i know people yeah i know bands you've never heard of yeah i, know I got stories. stories about yeah. these bands yeah fuck you yeah. you like pearl jam do you well how would you suck my dick <laughs> let me tell you something about eddie vetter you know what i mean uh, and yeah and then just some 17 18 year old dweeb who and fucking, that's pretty cool it was the coolest yeah the like, I can't top that. Coolest. I can't top that. It was really wild. I so, mean, my biggest claim to fame with any kind of musician that was known was just ac- accidentally running into Kim Mitchell <laughs> no. in Toronto in the Beaches District, you right. know, on Queen Street or whatever. And it's just like, hey! Fucking patio lanterns. Like, hey, man. And just... <laughs> off he goes. Off he goes with his wife. And, uh, yeah. He, he yeah. is a wild party. He is. He certainly is. But look at him now. I actually respect him more now than I ever did because now he's kind of got like his own sort of music. He's got his own shows on the radio and stuff. Does he? Oh, yeah. He's a big, big deal uh, on the national radio scene now. Oh, I didn't know that. He's sort of like, uh, 
He's kind of like a Howard Stern uh, of uh, music talk. Canadian music. Yeah, yeah. Really? On the radio. Well, what? A... It's bizarre. Really? Because I know that there's what's his nuts uh, from. Or at least he was. I don't know if yeah. he's still doing it, but he definitely was doing it for the longest yeah, time. Yeah, I don't remember this guy's name that I'm thinking of. Anyway. But uh, but getting back to the topic of like trying to share the music that I had discovered with other people, uh, when compact cassettes were a thing that I tried to leverage as much as I could, I was making mixtape. I was the mixtape king right. in my circle. Sure. I was the only one making them, and I made primo tapes. And what I would do is I would get to know somebody's taste in music, and then I would go, yeah. And they'd be like, yeah, what? And I'd be like, I'm going to make a mixtape for you, and you're going to fucking love it. And, you know, it would be like one-third music that I already knew they liked, perfectly interspersed with other music I knew they probably had not heard of before. And uh, it worked. It worked like gangbusters. Tapes were such a magnificent way to share music. They were. Because they were, you had a finite amount of time. Yeah. Right? You had to fit all that you wanted to fit on fucking, what was it? 45 minutes? Yeah, and it was the only way you could have done it up until then. Right. Like, right. otherwise, you had to, like, keep swapping records on your record player. Right. Now, suddenly, you could put a few of your favorite tunes on one thing. Right. And then play it. And after a while, I don't know if this was your experience, but after a while, if, if, fucking, I don't know, a foreigner song blended into a goddamn... A ZZ Top song or whatever, all of a sudden now that song belonged with the other song. As soon yeah. as you heard that foreigner oh, song yeah. end, immediately you heard the ZZ Top song beginning in your head all because it always belonged together because oh. of your mixtape. And you played the shit out of it. You did. You played it until it until didn't it broke. Play. Until it didn't until play. it broke. Yeah. And until you're rewinding it with your pencil and it right. snapped at the end. That's right. No! It was, it, and it's, it's like, it's very similar to the phenomenon that you mentioned earlier. And I think, like, I don't want to make it sound like the only great music that was ever made was made in the 70s, because of course that's not true. Of course. But when people bought albums on 33 and a third vinyl... They didn't just listen to the song they heard on the radio. Right. They dropped the needle on the first track and they listened to the whole side and they reveled in it. And then they took the needle off at the end of the, gro the, the groove, flipped it over and dropped it on the first track of the second side and then reveled in that too. And then at the end of it, everybody was like, well, that was cool because you were no longer playing songs, you were playing albums. Yep. And the albums were very often thematic. Yep. And there was a structure to it. And the songs almost seemed like they were in the perfect order. Even, even by side. 
because you'd have a grandiose opening or a subtle opening and then things got wild in the middle of the, the side and then at the end they kind of like petered out and then you flip the side and it was like another journey. Oh, okay, now let's go on a, let's go, let's so go in a common, different direction. So common that the last song on the first, on the first side was always like, hmm. hmm. Yeah, what the well, hell was that? That was that wasn't Dark a great song. Dark Side of the Moon, perfect yeah. example. Right. Uh, the last song on the first side was Great Kick in the Sky. And you listened to it and you went, what in God's name was that? Right. Because it was nothing it but piano and a woman going, ah, ah, right? And then you flip it over and Strap it's... Strap in, motherfucker. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, whoa, yeah. Look at that. here Look we at go. Goosebumps. Goosebumps. Just fucking happened. Right. Because that's just... Right. Like, that's fucking art. It's and classic. that's what this is the cantankerous old man talk. Here it comes. <laughs> is that I hate music that comes out now because of that. It's missing that, that element. Because you don't There's no journey anymore. There's no journey in it. Nobody not it's nobody fast it's, food. Right. It's very infrequent that someone listens to a record all the way through. No yeah. An album all the way through. Exactly. And when you do, like when I do, because mm. I'm still a bit of a zealot about that. Right. I do, and it's unsatisfying because they're not built the same. No, way they're not. At all. Nope. Nope. And that it's hits with filler. Right. Most and of the time. Agreed. And that the 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 beauty of the album existed all the way probably until the year two thousand. Yeah. It's the last twenty years it's sort of become just consumption. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, not to say that because my seventies for you was was the nineties, grunge yeah. music like that was my yeah. time. Yeah. And and I'm not going to suggest that music now is better or worse than because it just it's music, it's art, it's there's yeah, good and there's I mean, bad. I still but, I still like some new artists. Yeah, I just don't like all of, of their stuff. Right. Right. I'm very selective about, you know, right. that, okay, I connect with that. All right, let's listen to that some more. Let's go see what else they made. I forgot what else they made. Yep. Yeah, no, and now I understand why I never got that song, because I don't like it. Don't like the rest of that album either. Don't like any of that album, you know? But, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that we got onto the topic or the subject of, or the, the groove, <laughs> see what I did there, of... When we were listening, when we bought albums on vinyl, we would listen to them from beginning to end. Always, you would never throw an album on and just listen to your favorite songs. No, that's weird. Ever. No. You just didn't. Right. It was a soundtrack to your life. Yeah. And your parties and mm-hmm. everything else. Which is, I, th- I think, now that I think about it, why vinyl made a comeback. Because whenever somebody would talk to someone about that wonderful album they used to listen to Mm -hmm. in the 70s or the 80s or whatever, they'd be like, yeah. And they would remember what a wonderful journey it was to listen to the whole damn album. But it wasn't the same unless you threw it on a record player and put the needle on the beginning of the side and just let it go. Unlike a CD even where you put it in the drawer of a machine and then you're listening to a song for a few seconds and go, next, next, 
next, next, next. Yeah. See, we didn't do that. Because, like I said, vinyl wasn't a thing until I was older. Like, older as in, like, my 30s. I didn't mm. get into vinyl. So CDs were it. Right. But CDs were song one to song 12. Even on a CD. Always. For you. Yeah. Always. You'd listen and to And even the, the song thing. you didn't like. Really? It's part just, of, it was part, part of the plan, of the man. Let it's it part, go. Let it it's go. part of the plan. Huh. Yeah. And you I don't know if it was this this attempt to romanticize the art of it mm -hmm. but like these people put this effort into the this whole, whole thing right this whole fucking thing right the least i can do is to endure three minutes of a song that i'm not a huge fan of right when the other 48 minutes is astounding or even very good but um yeah but i like i see what you're saying because you definitely didn't do that with a record and you could with a C CD, but we never did. And I did with a CD, huh. but the only time I ever did, and you're going to find this funny, was when I said to my wife, very early in our relationship, in our marriage, I said, hey, you know what would be fun? She's like, what? And I said, how about an hour before we're ready to go to bed, I put the boombox on the dresser in the bedroom and we just lie back and I put on one of my favorite albums and we listen to it from beginning to end and then we'll talk about it and she's like okay and I'm like oh right it's mm -hmm. like oh my god I get to show her all my favorite music right and I was playing you know Floyd albums and Super Tramp albums and Steely Dan albums and 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 sticks albums and all the really wonderful masterpieces that I was raised on as a teenager. Yep. And and in my young uh, my early twenties, and I got to do that all over again. But it's the only time I have ever all the way through played uh, CDs all the way through. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's really interesting. Not even in my car. I couldn't even endure listening to a whole CD in my car because at this point now, I think I was starting to get antsy about give me variety. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, once things started coming out on MP3 and you could actually get them for free and pirating suddenly became this huge thing amongst the internet, the early internet user community... Uh, yeah, again, the veracity, I was just, I couldn't stop myself. Every free moment of my day was spent downloading fucking music off mm. of IRC. And then, you know, Napster and LimeWire and the whole nine yards. And all through that, I kept saying, God damn it, record companies, can you not just put everything online and charge us so much of dollars a month and just give us everything? Give me everything so that I can see what's out there without having to buy it all again. Again. You got enough of my goddamn money from this, you know, Vinyl to the 60 CDs crates to of, of albums that I had and yep. singles to the, I think at my peak, uh, I ended up buying close to 700 CDs. Right. And then I stopped because I just couldn't stand spending any more money on music just in time for pi pirate copies to show up 
And I mean, yeah, I know MP3s are not, you know, the the as good a quality as the real thing, but I they're fuck it, they're good enough for me. Absolutely. Until you guys like get off your high horse and give me the world of music for X dollars a month, we're done. You cannot have any more of my money. I wonder if that's where mine came from, too, my adoption of MP3. Sure, it was combined with the fact that now I'm a computer geek. I'm on the computer. Yeah. And that's just totally. where I spend my time. Yeah. So digital, like changing a it's CD in your, fucking, in your CD-ROM is yeah. not really a fucking thing you're going to no. do. Nope. But also, I did have a very large CD collection. Mm-hmm. And it was now... So you've now, already spent a shitload of money right. on music. And I was young. And now listening to music on CD or with CD has become very inconvenient, frankly. Oh, yeah. Right? Totally. It was just inconvenient. Yeah. Because I'm in front of my computer. And everything is on it. Everything is on it. <laughs> so that's, that's how MP3s became a thing so prolific in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just don't have any more money. That's it. Yeah. And it was funny because I had people, friends of mine... Who would go, so you're you're pirating music off the internet. Yes, I am. Uh, and uh, you don't feel bad about that. Absolutely not. Curious, do you buy movies? Yes, I do. Uh, a lot? Oh, yeah. Shit tons. Okay, how come you're not pirating movies? Well, that's a funny question. And I think I've got a kind of a funny answer. It may not make sense to you, but it works for me. In my world... A movie lasts at least an hour and a half to two hours, number one. Mm -hmm. It's a long serving of entertainment. And it's visual. So it's, it's like music, but better. Because now your eyes are involved. Okay? So stick with sure. me. Yeah. And when you buy a movie, you're not just getting the movie... You're getting the story about the movie, packaged with the movie. So how they made it, how they hired everybody that stars in it, all the stupid mistakes they made when they made the movie. There's a story about the movie packaged with the movie. For 20 bucks a crack, that's good value for my dollar. On the music side of the equation, $20 just gets me 35 fucking music, minutes of music. And that's it. And I'm sorry, but it's not worth $20. When you compare the two, right. you're getting value for your dollar, but not on the music side of house. So I'm like, maybe if the record company could actually make the album more interesting and include more than just the music that they made and maybe include some outtakes and some some first drafts, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the first, what do you call them? Uh, Demos. Demo uh, tracks and stuff like that. It might be more interesting. I mean, throw in a few interviews with the artist. How did you guys come up with the idea for this album? How did you guys form? This is your first record. But tell us about yourselves. That could make the album a bit more interesting, have a lot more content, and maybe be worth the 20 bucks. But until that day... Not interested. I paid my dues. I spent a shit ton, and then you abandoned that entire 
music format yep. and forced me to, what, start all over again? No. No, not doing it. Because yeah. you're going to do it again. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't respect me. How the hell Why should, should I, I keep you? shilling my hard-earned money out to you guys? Because you changed your mind. Yeah. So, of course, yep. now, of, of course, streaming sort of solves all of that. And for, you know, a fixed amount of money per month, to, subject to inflation, we have now become, you know, uh, fast food entertainment junkies. It's so weird that that's... Because the, we can have anything we want. Now, right, because it's like utopia of what you wanted. And, it and is we don't utopia. know what to do with it. It's just too much. It is. Like I said, it truly saturated. Is. It's too much. It truly is. You don't have to work for your music anymore. And it turns out that $20 was worth that. Is you had to work for your music. True. So it had a payoff. Right. Right? Right. It's a factor that you could, have, you could have never have factored that cost in. And not only that, we've, that become, satisfaction. we've become... The music is so accessible now, we've become... I love where this conversation has gone. It's just so perfect. We've become music snobs now because I will find myself hearing a song that I've asked Apple to add to my collection. Mm -hmm. And after hearing it for the second time in a week, go, screw that song. I want it gone. I don't want to hear it again. I'm tired of it. I heard it twice now in, in the week, <laughs> and I don't want to hear it again. Right. I just don't. Or, and, 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 I, and I'll actually get rid of some music that way. I'll mm -hmm. actually kick it out of my collection. Or, or again, you know, I'll be listening to a song on the car, and, and especially when Darlene's with me. She just doesn't get it. She doesn't understand how fast food it's gotten. A song will come on, and I'll get like five or ten seconds into it, and then I'll just hit the next button. And she'll go, what did you do that for? And I'm just like, I'm just not into this right now. <laughs> I need something else. And that wasn't it. And sometimes it'll drive her nuts because I won't just go skip. Oh, yeah, okay, that'll do. I'll be like, skip, nope. Skip, Oh nope. yeah. Skip, nope, skip, nope, skip. And she'll go, will you fucking let a song play already? Just like, And I'll finally land on one and go, that one will do. And then I'll let it play through. I'm the exact same way. <laughs> and it all started with MP3s. Yeah. Like, no one could have even fathomed that kind of music listening behavior 50 years ago. All facilitated by accessibility. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Here's everything. Here's everything. Well, I don't want it now. It's yeah, here's everything. Good luck. I don't want it. Welcome to Ponderosa. Yeah, take shit away You're from gonna me. You're going to feel like shit when this is over. Hey, man. <laughs> meatballs aren't good for you. <laughs> yeah yeah it's where really we are it, it, we are we absolutely that's are where we are and it drives me nuts and what i find that i do now and i think we've talked about that bef this before is that i rarely rarely listen to current music mm. i'll listen to i will discover music that was before my time or in genres I hadn't previously explored in my life. Yeah. Like funk or soul. Yeah. Or fucking music from other countries. Right. That is what I... And it's all, it's all shit from the 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah. So I 
am listening to shit I've never heard of before, yep. and it's fucking wild. And probably and, no one else has listened to sure, it which, which, or in a long time. Which feeds my, yeah, yeah you don't know yeah, shit, yeah. you dicks. I got more on you now, dickheads. Exactly. But it also feeds that lust for an album of art. First, second song, third yeah, song, yeah. the whole thing, because that's how they were built. So if I could give you a radio show yeah. on college radio, yeah, and the format was pick an album, play it, and talk through it if you want, or right. discuss it at the end, would that be like a, the coolest job ever for you? No. Really? Because I've been spoiled okay. with the next, next, next. Okay. It would be so hard. Because, because there's still... There's the sense of anxiety is the, well, right. But there's a sense of anxiety that still exists. I don't know if it's the, anxiety is the right word, but I'm just going to use it as when you're showing somebody music Mm -hmm. and you know, it's a little weird. Like, you know, it's weird. Right. And you are worried that they're going to think it's really weird. Right. And they're not going to enjoy it. Right. So I make decisions for them that it's not good. Okay. So I hit next. Okay. And I move on. Yeah, that one's not so great. But this one's better. Right. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not the right one. Yeah. This it's, this next one should be awesome. right. Yeah. <laughs> I get like yeah I get like performance anxiety. That's what it is. So would would I enjoy that? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think I would. I don't think I could do it. I could talk through music that I don't really care about. Mm-hmm. But. Showing music that I I care about, mm-hmm. I find to be more difficult. So let me ask you this. You say that you continue to search for stuff you have not listened to before. Yeah. Uh, from previous generations and even from outside of our, uh, our own musical culture. Mm-hmm. How do you find this stuff? Reddit has been a big place to find it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I'll go to uh, genre subreddits. Yeah. Like stoner rock or jazz or even just music. And read? No. Yeah. Just somebody posts something. Hey, you guys listen to this? Yeah. There's r slash listen to this is a subreddit. And people will be like, whoop, put this up. And you listen to it and you're like, that is fucking awful. Or like, the fuck? And you check it out, oh, wow. and then you, and then you go into the comment thread and be like, "What else is like this?" And there's always some fucking nerd in there that knows everything about every band that even sort of sounds like huh. that. And it's it yeah, it's absolutely community based. Wow, that's how I discover music now. I was really lucky for the longest time until this this schmuck retired from doing this and then i was just like livid because i was like i'm not gonna find my new music now but there was a a journalist a music journalist that wrote for i think the toronto star and his his name i believe was john yakamoto i think i know it's john but it might not be yakamoto but something very similar to that and he reveled in hey 
you should check out this album, this artist, blah, blah, blah. T- tell you a little bit about them, why I think they're so special. Yeah. Yada, yada. And then I would just go race online and try to find a digital copy of what he was talking about. Listen to the song he mentioned as the, the okay, let's give this a taste. And if it's really scrumptious, then I'll tr- look into this artist more. And he helped me to discover a whole bunch of artists that I had never heard of before and would probably never hear of again because they were mostly artists that you would never have heard outside of college radio, sure. if at all. Right. Um, John Sakamoto. Yeah. and uh, not, a, not a TNS. I just looked it up. John Sakamoto. Sakamoto. Okay. That's what, was good. That's what I was going to guess next. It just didn't sound right in my, in my ear, in my head. But yeah, he was he was phenomenal. John Sakamoto's hit list. Yep, yeah. that's that's it. That's yeah. what I would go to anti-hit every list. week. The anti-hit list. Yeah, exactly. Weekly top ten songs from outside the mainstream. You got it. Yeah, he was fantastic. I was addicted to that hit. That anti-hit list. It 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 helped me discover so many artists I'd never heard of before, and uh, yeah. So happy, like uh, over the Rhine, um, yeah, just so such incredible artists from the states and Europe and Canada and just around the world. So many different genres too, um, and um, but guess how I'm discovering music now? How's that? And even enjoying music more than I ever have before, YouTube. Oh, yeah. Live performances on YouTube. Oh, interesting. That guy that you told me about that's making the tracks as he goes? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd already seen one of his uh, videos already, so I already yeah. knew who you were talking about as soon as I looked him up. Right. How to, how to funk in two minutes or yeah. less. Yeah. I already seen that video, and I was like, that was cool. But then I started watching more of his videos. Mark Robier. Get, yeah, Mark Robier. And I started watching a couple more of his performances. And I was like, man, this yeah. guy is good. He's wild. This guy is good. I've even added a couple of his songs to my, to my rotation. And because uh, it's just, some of them are, some of them are funny. Oh, yeah. Too. Like, I almost wonder if he's being ironic in some of the pieces that he puts together because I think just, so yeah they're just they're yeah, funny they're just funny yeah yeah and uh, but yeah I, I'll just love to see uh, an artist put on an intimate live performance I started getting into um, uh, have you ever heard of NPR mm-hmm and tiny, oh, tiny desk. desk tiny desk oh yeah. my god i forgot about that tiny that, desk tiny desk is a good another spot. source of uh, artists i've never heard before yeah and i started listening to some of these oh artists and, yeah. and 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 you know what the worst part about listening to tiny desk concerts is that they were just so laid back and stripped down yeah. and pure creativity and artistry yeah. and no effects or or Pageantry? Pageantry or amplitude. Sure. That I'd listen to them, go, oh my God, these people are amazing. And then I'd go and listen to their professionally produced music and go, 
what the living fuck is this? Right. I want what I just heard at that Tiny Desk concert. I don't want the dressed up version of that song, which is how I fell in love with that uh, band Crangbin uh, Krang from the States, the trio. The girl, the guy on the guitar, he's got kind of a Middle Eastern oh, influence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the black drummer. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, because yeah. their regular music sounds just like the Tiny Desk concert. Yeah. It's identical. Yeah. Because there's nothing else to it. Yeah. It's that simple. It's that basic. My A real cool experience I had with Tiny Desk, and it's, and it is, and it's like that, and just finding weird bands and you'd fall into, mm-hmm. is that I found uh, a woman... Who sang and she just blew me away in her ability to sing. It was beautiful. It blew me away. Yeah. And I went to my wife and I'm like, check this out. Check this out. She's yeah. like, yeah, that's Lizzie. I'm like, what? Yeah. She's like, oh yeah, she's hugely popular. You're talking about Lizzo? Lizzo. Yeah. Lizzo. And I, I was haven't just, even heard her yet. Oh man, it was. So I've heard good. of her. Yeah, but I haven't taken the time. Yeah, the tiny desk is really stuff. good. Really good. I'll have to check and the, the albums, tiny desk. And her albums first. are fun. I don't know if I would have liked it had I not seen the tiny desk. Which is why I should probably listen to that first. It was. It's just, and it's happened to me twice, I think, maybe even three times, where I listen to Tiny Desk and I'm just blown away by these, by this band, and I mention it to my wife to be like, "Token, check this out." She's like. Yeah. By the way, for our listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, NPR, National Public Radio in the United States, they they had this guy uh, in this in the Washington office, Washington D.C. office, and he decided that what he wanted to do was he wanted to invite artists that were both known and unknown, that he thought were amazing. And say, hey, if you're ever in Washington, D.C., drop by our offices and we've got an empty cubicle here just set up in the cubicle. Play three songs. And play three songs. Yep. Any songs you want. And then see ya. And, you know, the only people that will be there to listen to you are the staff that work there uh, in, in the NPR office. And um, it became a phenomenon because people... Even people who had like extravagant production uh, values in their music had to come completely stripped down, mm-hmm. just the bare minimum of instruments and amplification equipment, um, and play live. No holds barred. Yes. And you got to literally be introduced to the artist and the core essence of the music that they had made. And it was just the most amazing thing. And it became a runaway success yeah there's quite a few um international artists that i've fallen oh yeah with that like yeah like a number yep of them yeah it's really very good highly recommend it so if you're if you've got a taste for some new music man go on youtube and look up tiny desk you will be amazed you might not like everything because it's it's very worldly yep it's everything under the sun and then some. Everything under the sun. From the most bizarro trios and solo performances to full-on eight-man, eight-person fucking jazz funk extravaganzas. I discovered... Um, uh, who's that black artist that also collaborates with a lot of, a lot of other artists? Um, Caesar. 
he has a he has a, a hit called uh, Japanese denim. Uh, something Caesar. Anyway, phenomenal, phenomenal artist. Cool. And I just I never would have uh, discovered him except right. for Tiny Desk. Right. Never would have heard of him, ever, in the history of ever. That's it's so just cool. unbelievable. That's so cool. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's really neat. That was a good discussion. Mm -hmm. This could be like my favorite episode ever. <laughs> Until the next one. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks for your stories, Adam. Yeah, thank you. I appreciated that. Yeah, that was yeah, that was uh cool. It was nice to well, it was it, it was a bit on the spot at the first, so yeah. I was just dumping. Yeah. And then as you started going, I'm like, "Oh, yeah, right. I've had some pretty interesting experiences through music as well." Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was cool. And uh can't yeah. tell you what our next episode's going to be about because we haven't even discussed it yet. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Make sure you tell all your friends. Yeah, start telling your friends. Yeah, like, you know. Come on. This is some good shit. This is some quality, primo entertainment. We should be the ones doing all the work here. Yeah. Don't just be listeners. Be participants. Participants in our podcast. Spread the word. The gospel. The dog bots. Yeah. Dog bots. Dog bots. Dog bots. Later. Bye.